The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 17th chapter. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. He entered a village, and ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now when Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? Then Jesus said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, I invite you all to be seated. So, we have today, after weeks of gospel lessons where we have had Jesus basically talking trash about rich people and talking, and talking smack about the good church people who a lot of times will leave the people that they think aren't good church people out of their social groups and talk badly about them. It's a good thing that never happens in Lutheran congregations, that, that anyone in the Lutheran church would ever talk bad about anyone. Heaven forbid. We leave that to the Baptists down south, right? To my Baptist friends, I apologize. Um, we, we have in this gospel a much different lesson because it's an easier one for me to preach, which I really appreciate. It's one about people who are being made clean after having great disease. And one of the things about when we talk about leprosy in the New Testament is that it's not leprosy in the sense necessarily, although some of it may be like Hansen's disease, as I understand, is maybe its more medical name. It's, it's more a disease that makes a person's skin lose color and look almost like a corpse. And I, I heard in a podcast this week that the people who originally wrote The Walking Dead actually used this image from Scripture as an inspiration for the way the zombies look. Now, whether that's true or whether that's apocryphal, I really don't care. It's a good story. But even so, it, it gives you a sense of if this is the way they looked, if they looked like they were the walking dead, imagine what it would have been like in a time where you don't have modern medicine, you don't have modern understanding, you don't have a modern conception of, of how to deal with people who have diseases that you don't understand how scary that must be. What it, what it really reminded me, though, though when, I was, when I was thinking about this this week, is uh, when I was first in New England, I was, I was working for a hospice corporation called Metro West Hospice. I was a bereavement coordinator. And uh, I had a colleague who worked out of the Worcester office who was a, who was a former Catholic priest. And he told me a story about when he was young in the 80s, I guess he must have been in his early 20s, he worked at some of the, the hospitals that Mother Teresa ran for AIDS patients. And speaking of diseases that were really scary, for those of us who are too young to really have a conception of what it meant when the AIDS epidemic was new, it take COVID and our lack of understanding about how it spread, especially early in the pandemic, multiply it by everybody who gets it dies. And then imagine what it must have been like when all of a sudden we had people who were getting sick with the disease you couldn't cure 
and they died in very unpleasant ways. And the other problem with this, in addition to dying, is they didn't just die, many of them died alone. Because many people who got it at this point in time were in the LGBTQIA plus community, and so it was a community that was already outcast because in the 80s it just wasn't something that was socially acceptable. It wasn't something you talked about. And then all of a sudden you get a disease that seems to very closely follow with this community because of the way it was transmitted. And you get not only a community who is ostracized for who they are, for the way they love people, they're also now being ostracized for the way they die. And many of them died in places where nobody would touch them because they didn't understand how this disease was spread. And so my friend who worked in this clinic with that Mother Teresa was running, I think he said it was in New York, one of the things they did was they would hold people's hands. One of the things they would do is they would sit with them. They would talk with them. They would, they would treat them, and this is crazy, like human beings. And this is one of the reasons why I ever started working in hospice in the first place, is because the process of dying is one that robs us of our dignity. The process of dying is one in which, whether it's fast or slow, is an ultimate surrender of everything about us that we have control over. And especially when someone is dying slowly and they lose a little bit and a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And I remember Nancy Reagan saying about Alzheimer's that it was the long goodbye because she said goodbye to Ronald Reagan many, many times. Or if it's cancer, you'll see people just slip away a little bit at a time. And in most long-term terminal diseases, we'll see somebody do what you call plateau where they'll have a sharp dive. They might have a small rally, but, the, but their typical ability is always a little less than what it was before, and they'll live there for a little while until the next downturn. And so when I say it robs us of our dignity, and a lot of us have seen this over our lives, you know what I'm saying. It robs us of our ability to make choices. It robs us of our ability to, to engage our larger community. It robs us of our ability to communicate in all the different things we value. Now imagine... That's not necessarily accompanied by having to stay in bed all the time, but it's, it's mostly a disease that makes you look awful and have constant pain, and nobody will ever go near you. You know, we see in this leprosy a different picture than what we see in the AIDS epidemic, but we see something that's very similar. The loss of human dignity, the ostracization, ostracization you know what I'm saying, of of an entire community of people who still have the capacity to feel left out, who still have the need to feel loved, who still have the need to feel human, and the rest of the world somehow keeping them at arm's length because they're afraid of them, rightly or wrongly. To, to hear my friend, who was a hospice chaplain and a former priest, tell me about the experiences he had caring for these people, one of them sticks out above all else. And it's, it's the one for me that he said was for him. And it was, thank you for noticing that I'm human. Can you imagine that? Being in a place and an experience where you feel so absolutely left out that you don't even feel like anybody notices you're human anymore. And so, ten lepers come to Jesus. Ten lepers who had been excluded by their community come to Jesus and seek healing. 
10 people who had been left out of their community, who had been ostracized, 10 people who, in some ways, in the same way we all find some sort of identity in our illnesses when they're long-term, had come to be defined not only by other people as people who were lepers, but had come to define themselves as lepers, came to Jesus and sought healing, and all of a sudden they were healed. And we see something in this healing that I think is very important that we miss in almost every miracle story. And I know we miss it because most of the time the people who witness the miracles miss it too. Is ten lepers were cleansed and Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priests. Now here's something interesting. He didn't say which priests. And we know it wasn't a hometown crowd because Jesus was traveling between areas and one of... One of the areas he was between was Samaria. We know that the one who did return to give thanks was a Samaritan. He was a foreigner. He wasn't from around here. And so Jesus says to the one, you know, well, where are the other nine? Did the other nine not receive healing as well? So when he says, show yourself to the priests, I don't even think it's a go to the Jewish temple in Jerusalem and show yourself to them. Go to the place where you live your faith. Go to the place where you haven't been able to go because of your disease. Go to the place where you should feel at home because where God's house is, people should be welcome. Go to the place where you have felt maybe the most dehumanized because, let's face it, one of the reasons things hurt in church more than they hurt in other places is that this is the place where we expect people to act at their best behavior. And sometimes we're not good at that. And sometimes our best behavior is a little bit mean because we're human beings and so it does hurt when we're hurt in church go to this place where you might be able to feel your most human and show yourselves to the temple leaders there and let them see your humanity for the for the church i i think it's a really compelling image because it reminds us of of all the different ways that, that we can occasionally make people feel dehumanized, whether they look differently or not. You know, it, it's the, the unkind word in the, in the narthex when we don't mean to, or it's feeling so pressed for time that somebody who's trying to get our time, we might not be particularly nice to. You know, there's, and it's not about necessarily doing big things, but it's about how those little things that happen every day in everyday life, somehow in this place, because we expect people to be extra kind, they hurt just a little more. And I bring this up simply because it's a reminder of how much all of us need these measures of kindness that remind us not just that we're somebody important, even though it's nice to feel important, but some days we just need to remember that we are somebody. And no matter who we are, when we treat somebody like they're somebody, it makes such a difference. And so when the person returned to give thanks, the Samaritan, the foreigner, and Jesus said, well, where are the other nine? Did they not return to give thanks? Your faith has made you well. We see in this the truth of what the miracle of healing looks like according to the reign of God. The truth of the healing, while yes, it's their skin. While yes, it's being able to re-enter re into community. While yes, it's being able to be redefined, not out of what's wrong with them, 
but be redefined by their healing and go through the trouble of re-identifying themselves that comes from that. But the real healing that Jesus observes in this one who returned to give thanks and saying your faith has made you well is time after time after time we see the people who are grateful be the ones who receive a healing that is identified as true healing. And it's not because God needs us to say thank you. It's the same way when we feed our kids or we, or we do something nice for our spouse or we do something for someone we, we like or we're friends with or something nice for a stranger. It's nice when they say thank you, but we don't necessarily do it to get the thank you. We do it because in doing it, it makes us feel good. And when someone appreciates it, all of a sudden we know that our effort really begins to make a difference. But more, what we identify as people of God, as the gift of the miracle that we experience together in community through what we do for each other is the ability to feel grateful, not just in a moment when something's given to us, not, not just at a time when someone gives something nice to us, but the condition of following Jesus, the condition of being a disciple of Christ, the condition of being part of the reign of God is recognizing every day that every breath is a gift, every moment is a gift, every word is a gift, every action is a gift, everything we do, everything that we have, everything around us that we experience us is also a gift and we all get the gift. And our role as people of God is to figure out how do we respond to this. Do, do we just look and say, well, that's nice. I like that I've gotten this. I'm going to go on about my day. And let's not assume anything negative about the people who didn't return to give thanks. I read a, a, a book called Parables from the Backside a long time ago. And there was an essay in it called Where Are the Nine? And it said something along the lines of, well, maybe one of them hadn't been able to hold their daughter in their arms for years because they had had this disease and they didn't want to get it. You know, maybe there was someone who was so excited to get back to their spouse. Or maybe there was someone who, you know, and they, they listed out all the different things that this disease had caused them to miss out on. And so there is some inherent gratitude there. And the one who returns to give thanks to the one who gave them healing is the real healing for them because when we stop and pause and we come to worship or where we share our stories of love and gratitude with the people around us, we take time to recognize that the love and the healing and the new life that we receive through God does come from God and we take time to be grateful for that. All of a sudden, our entire experience of the world changes. Because as I've said a lot, you get what you're looking for. And if what we're looking for is just getting back to normal, we'll find that. But if we're looking, what we're looking for is reasons to have gratitude, reasons to be thankful, reason to experience life as a gift, reasons to express our gratitude, not because we expect something back, but because we recognize what it does for the one who has given us things as something that's just as freely returned as it was given, it changes us. So the one whose faith made them well, it's, it's not the healing of the skin that is the true miracle. It's the one who begins to fully embrace the healing of their heart. 
the healing of their self-understanding, the healing of once again being able to worship in a community that they may have missed for so long. And I know in a post-COVID world, when we, when we might have still had worship, and we did, but we weren't able to worship together, the feeling of being together made such a big difference in the beginning. And every time I walk into a sanctuary and I see people around me, rather than just looking at a camera in front of me, I feel that gratitude again and again, because I recognize that in some ways, this is the healing that we all need. And the good news in this is we don't need special powers to be able to cure people's skin. We don't need to be able to cure AIDS. We don't need to be able to cure somebody of their deadly diseases. But what we can give them that gives life is our time, our presence, our love, the ability to sit with them in the place where they don't necessarily want to be and we may not want to be either. But by sitting with them, we give them their dignity as a human being. And in all of this, we discover that the real miracle is the ability to have gratitude and the ability to share in the humanity of the people around us. And thanks be to God that this is a miracle that we can all work every day. Amen.